settle this right now. And so we had a gym on, uh, on property, and we settled it. You can ask him what happened. Uh, no. Uh, but oh, uh, I am Tara the Tory. My name is Brad Laws. Love this man very much. Had to, had to clown on him a little bit. Uh, but I'm a married man. I don't know where my wife went. She's, she was in the room. But uh, my wife is Aubrey Francis. I met her at the University of Texas. We've been married for seven and a half years. We have three kids. Uh, McCray is six, goes to Maplewood Elementary. It's the one right by the Cherrywood Coffee House. Uh, and then I have a daughter, uh, Kiva Louise, and um, she is absolutely adorable. And then Isla is 16 months, and she is the reason for the bags under my eyes. Uh, but she, uh, she's also a daddy's girl, and so I love her to death. And we have our fourth on the way. So God willing, yes. Yeah. I know many of you in here may not have known that, but uh, yeah, we are our fourth. So life is very full for us, just to say the least. I'm also a college pastor at Midtown Church, which is a partner church of the well, part of Hill Country Bible Churches. And so we have many other kids in our homes who are, who are becoming adults right before our eyes. It's a lot of fun. But uh, I know Tori just prayed, but I want to pray as well just to kind of prepare my own heart. So if you would, just pray with me. Um, God, I do just praise you for who you are. God, I've already been blessed so much just being here, part of this family of believers. Um, just seeing how they love one another and see how they praise you and how they're sending people out to proclaim your love to the ends of the earth. And so, God, I just pray today as we dive into your word and we look at uh, your words, Jesus, when you were in the flesh, written down in your word, I just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would, that you would guide us into all truth. Uh, just as Tori just prayed, that we might know you more. I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, that they'd come to know you. And for those of us that do know you, that we'd come to know you more. And so would you be honored in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got myself on a stopwatch because like Tori, I can speak a little bit and uh, verbally process. So, so bear with me. Uh, but we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the Sermon on the Mount is in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first uh, book in your New Testament. Um, it's written by a former tax collector who, who Jesus calls to follow him. And uh, he's writing to a Jewish audience, which is helpful when you're even thinking about the, the Sermon on the Mount and how he references the law. Um, probably the best way I've ever heard it summarized is Matthew is about the king and his kingdom. And you're going to see him lay out what the kingdom of God is. He steps on the scene and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then here in Matthew 5 through 7, he's going to show us who gets to participate in the kingdom of God, which is helpful for us. And so um, you guys have already gone through the first two chapters. And today we're going to begin the third chapter. Now, when Jesus was speaking, he wasn't speaking in chapters. He was just giving a sermon. And so to kind of give us a running start to where we are today, in chapter 5, we see some of the subjects of the kingdom. Who's in the kingdom? Those that are poor in spirit, recognizing their need for Jesus. Those who mourn and weep over their own brokenness. And who, th who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All right? And God satisfies that. He, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see the subjects of the kingdom. Those that are the light and salt of the world. And then from about the middle of chapter 5 until the, uh, all the way through the end, you're going to see these comparisons. These comparisons of people that are participating in the kingdom and those that are not. And sometimes these comparisons are going to be with the rebellious, the ways of the world. And then sometimes you're going to see these comparisons between those in the kingdom and the religious, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And we see that the, that the gospel, living in the kingdom of God, it's not in the middle of these two. It's altogether different. It's completely countercultural. And if you've been around for this, this should be review, something you've already heard in this sermon series. Um, but you also see uh, Jesus lay out this standard of true righteousness, of what does it look like to walk in righteousness in the kingdom of God? 
And so in chapter 5, he's, you know, this is a, uh, the Gospel of Matthew written to a Jewish audience. He's referring a lot to the law. And so he'll say things like, You have heard it said, parenthetical, in the law, uh, you shall not murder. But I say, if you've even said, you fool, <laughs> it's basically like you've committed murder. You've heard it said that it, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even lust it in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so he, he references the law, and then he ups the ante. And so by the end of chapter 5, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the super-righteous, the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then if you, had any under, if, you have any, if you didn't understand him at that point, by the end of the chapter, he says, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so the standard is set extremely high, almost unattainable. It is unattainable. And then in chapter 6, he continues on with kingdom living of when you pray, when you give, when you fast, what's the heart motivation? And so it's not just the outward action, but he actually cuts to the heart of what's your motivation for, for what you're doing. Um, and then he talks about things that we all interact with on a daily basis. Money, what's your relationship to money? You can't serve both God and money. Worry, anxiety, you should not worry. Who gets elected? <laughs> Trust in the Lord, okay? So these are very relevant topics even for us today. And then even going into chapter 7, he kind of continues this theme of how should we live in true righteousness in the kingdom and how we relate to one another, and how we judge one another. You're going to see moving on from today is the golden rule, and then even how we judge those that teach the word. There's going to be false prophets, and then how do we apply this? And so that's the Sermon on the Mount kind of in two minutes. Today we're going to be in chapter 7, and so if you will, open uh, your Bible, or if you have a, a phone, pull up the Bible app. We're going to be looking at chapter 7, 1 through 6. This is the words of Jesus in the Word of God. All right, he says this, Do not judge... I'm going to read it from the actual Bible. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. All right, Tori, I appreciate you giving me this passage. Judge not lest you be judged. All right, this is the, the uh, many different lists I looked online. It's the number one misquoted verse in all of Scripture. <laughs> Judge not lest you be judged. And what a time to talk about this in, in coming up to an election. And so uh, this, our world, our culture wants to say, uh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Judge not lest you be judged, right? And some people want to say, only God can judge me. All right, last night I was driving home from Cyprus, and I listened to some Justin Bieber. I'm a college pastor. And he sings this, only God can judge me. <laughs> All right? Life is worth living again. All right, it's a jam you should listen to. It's a good CD. But Justin Bieber sings it. All right, now growing up, I listened to, uh, I played sports, so Listen to a lot of hip-hop. Tupac had a song in 1996, Only God Can Judge Me. Uh, Master P's eighth album, uh, Only God Can Judge Me. <laughs> Mark Morrison, 1997, his second album that followed up Return of the Mac, Only God Can Judge Me. Uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, 2010, Only God Can Judge Me. And then obviously Justin Bieber. So there were also, <laughs> there was a laundry list of people who had these only God can judge me. Don't judge me. 
Uh, and so we know this is a very popular thing in our culture. And so the first thing I want to start off is in verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Is Jesus saying we should not judge? The simple answer is no. <laughs> if you look at this passage, he's going, to say, he's going to go on to talk about how we're going to need to correctly judge one another. And then you see a judgment in verse 6 about pigs, people that he calls people pigs and dogs. We're going to talk about what that means. He talks about judging people to see if they're false prophets. So the simple answer is no. Now let me back up a little bit. I did, I did reference only God can judge me is actually a verse in the Bible. You can write this down. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, there's also a reference you can write down James 4. It says there's one lawgiver and there's one judge, and it's God himself. And so there is some truth to this statement. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, it is talking about what I believe is the believer's judgment. In 1 Corinthians 3, that even as believers, we're going to stand before God and not be judged for our sin because Jesus has already paid the penalty for that, but our works are going to be judged. Our life's going to be judged, and everything that we built upon the foundation of Christ, that is gold, silver, and precious stones, will be rewarded for, and then we get to worship Jesus with the rewards that he gives us. It'll be pretty sweet. All right? The other judgment is the great white throne judgment, and it's who gets into the kingdom of God. It's what, he's, what actually Jesus is laying out for us here in the Sermon on the Mount. And that says, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? All right? And so ultimately, God is the one who's going to judge our hearts and our motivations and our works. That's the ultimate judgment. He's the ultimate judge. But here in Matthew 7, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how we assess and, and judge one another with regards to our everyday actions. All right? On the way over here, somebody cuts me off. I say, you fool. I just committed murder in my heart. <laughs> and I'm also judging that guy because he cut me off. So everyday judgments are different than the ultimate judgment of God. So I wanted to clarify that right from the beginning. But he's not saying that we shouldn't judge. And so if he's not saying that we shouldn't judge, what is he saying? Well, oftentimes when you hear verses misquoted like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or this one, if you just read the verses before it and after it, it will explain it in and of itself. So scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. And so I would encourage you in all of scripture to be a Berean. You've probably heard this from Tori, but don't take my word for it just because I'm up here speaking. I want you guys to examine the word to see if what's being taught is so. It says in Acts 17 that the Bereans were of most noble character because they did that. They examined to see if what was being taught was so in the scriptures. And so don't take my word for it. Examine the scriptures. And even as we're going through this, remember that this is in light of a sermon, which is chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so we're, we're doing multiple sermons to address one sermon. But you need to address what Jesus is saying in context of what he's already said. That makes sense? So I'm completely cool if you want to flip through pages. I don't think that's disrespectful. Like, look at the scriptures and wrestle with the scriptures with God. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. But look at what he says about this. He says, um, do not judge or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. <laughs> so he's not saying, do not judge. He's saying, look at the plank. So I brought with me, I brought with me a plank. So <laughs> it's a plank, okay? And so it's actually a bed frame board, but don't judge me, all right? So I got a plank in my eye, okay? So it kind of looks ridiculous, right? I got a plank in my eye. And so he's saying, don't, don't walk up to people and say, hey, hey, Paul, man, hey, man, you got some dust in your eye. 
let me, let me help you out there. Let me get that out of there for you. And he's also not saying, see, it's hard to walk around like this, right? He's also not saying, where's my phone at? Whew. Man, all y'all who voting for that candidate need to take the dust out your eye. <laughs> Tweet. <laughs> all right? Now, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but it was Jesus' illustration. I'm just, I'm just using Jesus' illustration. So what does this plank represent? This represents our own sin, right? And looking at ourselves, turning it back in on us, which the scriptures are really good at. They're really good at being a mirror to show us where we really stand with regards to the standard. And what is the standard? Well, there's the law. Uh, the standard is that we have to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that our, our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Um, I love what Romans says with regards to the law. Uh, Romans says this. This is chapter 3. Yeah, Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Some versions and translations will say, so that everyone may be shut up. Very strong language. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Uh, Romans 3.10 puts it this way, There's no one good... Not even one. There's no one who does good. Not even one. So what Jesus is telling us to do is to first assess where we're at, to judge ourselves, to see how we meet this standard or how we measure up to this standard of the law. And the scriptures say that if we do that, it will shut up everyone under heaven <laughs> because none of us meet this standard. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, you see these comparisons of two different people throughout. And there's another parable I want to reference today, and Jesus is doing the same thing. It's in Luke chapter 18. He tells a parable of two men. Listen to why he tells this parable. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And so Jesus, I said, he's not telling us to not judge. He's, not, he's telling us to not judge condescendingly. And here we see this parable specifically addressing this. He said, Two men, this is Luke 18, verse 9, going through 14, if you want to look at it with me. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. How would you guys like to have this as your small group leader? <laughs> you wouldn't be going back. Uh. But here, look at the contrast here. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so there's a truism in the scriptures that 100% of the time, God opposes the proud, but 100% of the time, God exalts the humble. And so what Jesus is trying to get at here in Matthew 7 is that before you go and, and, and address your brother's dust in his eye, right, you need to do work with Jesus. And when anytime you see anybody uh, come face to face with God, what do you see them do? Isaiah, woe is me. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, right? Uh, Peter falls on his knees, realizes he shouldn't even be in the presence of God. And so what he's saying in Matthew 7 is, man, as you examine your own sin in light of the law and then ultimately in the fulfiller of the law, in Jesus, who he says he is in Matthew 5, in this same sermon, it should naturally humble us. And so it's, it's why he starts the sermon off as blessed are the poor in spirit. To get into the kingdom of God, you have to recognize your need, you recognize your brokenness, recognize your utter desperation for God. It's a prerequisite to getting into the kingdom of God. And so as we examine ourselves in light of the standard, as we ex- examine ourselves in light of the, the actual standard the fulfiller in Jesus, it will naturally humble us, and we will be like this man in this parable, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who am I to even be in your presence? Who am I to even speak to you? Um, I love how Paul puts this. So Paul was one of these super Christians. He was a fair, or super uh, Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, and then God, you can read about it in Acts 9, um, got a hold of his life with the blinding light and let, allowed Ananias to be part of that. Um, but when he first started writing letters, he would reference himself as the least of the apostles, the least of the super Christians, Okay. And you think about it, there's a lot of humility in that. Like, there's all these apostles, and I'm the least of them. But as you follow Paul's writings, he then goes on to say, man, I'm the least of all saints. Like, of all Christians, of all people following Jesus, like, I'm I'm the least. But then you get to the end of his life. He writes to Timothy at the end of his life. And in, in, in Timothy, in his letters to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the chief of all sinners. And so here's, here's the principle. The longer you walk with God, and this is a good uh, self-test, the longer you walk with God, you should come to understand more and more the depths of your own sin. And simultaneously, you should grow in your understanding of the depths and the riches of the grace and love and mercy of God. Right? And so this is what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew 7. That if we would walk in humility, if we would walk in love, and if we'd understand that, man, we couldn't meet this standard, okay? This plank, which represents my sin, Jesus actually had to come and fulfill this standard for me and then die on a cross, on a tree. Curse is the one who hangs on a tree. He died to pay the penalty for the standard that I couldn't live up to. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin, Satan, and death, so that all who repent and turn from trusting in everything else and turn to trust in Jesus, not only are their sins forgiven, I mean, they get God. <laughs> That's crazy. That's grace. And so as we understand the gospel ourselves, we should be the most humble, the most grateful, uh, the most joyful people on the earth as we recognize what we deserve and instead what we get. Does that make sense? So he's not, he's not saying to not judge. He's first saying to see who you are in light of the judge and then to see what the judge has done for you. And then you can move on from there, okay? And so as we, real, as we realize our own desperation, so for me, I realized when I was eight, I needed, I needed uh, Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Um, but it, it wasn't so college that really the idols of my heart were being, were being exposed, sports, as a fan, sports, as an athlete. Uh, I, I got exposed to pornography. I got addicted to pornography in college. I took that into my marriage. 
Uh, I ran from it, um, but it, I still had no with the heart issue. Got my first, my first smartphone when I was working with Tori, and I, I fell back into it. And so I stand before you as a man who has been humbled and broken by my own sin. But as I have confessed that to, to Tori and to my wife, confessing it to you, I'm, I'm boasting in my weakness so that I can boast to you about the grace and the mercy of God. As you get your crap in the light, as you confess your own sin, you realize that he not only forgives you of your sin, but he covers your shame. And he is very near. And there are pleasures for more at his right hand. <laughs> and so this is the gospel. And so then when you turn to your brother, you're not coming to them looking down your nose at them. You're coming to them as a broken brother and sister. And so this passage is actually, uh, it's, it's actually the opposite. It's not saying to not judge. It's saying to judge correctly, uh, to judge believers in love and humility as a brother and sister. I think we're actually commanded to do this, um, to remove the speck in your brother's eye. So what does that what does that look like? Are you, are you telling me to judge my brother and my sister? Yes, I am. And what do I mean by that? I mean, assess where they're at with the Lord with regards to righteousness, seeking first the kingdom and treasuring God above all. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> it's kind of fun, though. I feel like Moses. Uh. <laughs> but no, we, we need to assess where each other are at with the Lord and push each other towards, towards deeper intimacy with God. And so Proverbs 27, 17 says this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. All right, we need people in our life. And I've already seen it this morning that there are groups of you who are meeting together in community, in tight-knit groups, community, uh, small groups and also men's groups, women's groups, and you get to do this together. And I hope that you're inviting people to, to judge and assess where you're at with the Lord because we all have blind spots. Um, Matthew 18 says this, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Okay, one thing to note here, it says, it does not say if your brother sins against you, go and tweet about it to the world. <laughs> All right, we laugh, but we also feel guilt. All right, it says to go and show him his fault, and if he listens to you, you'll win him over. All right, we, we need people in our life who are going to be lovingly and humbly judging us, okay? Not with pride because I'm better than you, but hey, I need Jesus. Hey, I see this in your life. Have you considered these things? We're going to talk about some examples of that here in a minute. But we need people in our life that are going to judge us. We should long for that. Ephesians 4 talks about this. It says that in the world, there's going to be waves of doctrine, okay? Things that are going to sway us to and fro to follow all different kinds of teachings or, or different desires. And it says to do this in light of that. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Church, we actually need everybody to do this. This isn't just something for, for me to do or Tori to do or the elders to do. If we each play our part in, in a healthy way, judging one another, uh, the church will be better off. So I'm going to get into some practicals of this. Why should we do this. I kind of already mentioned this, but I think the number one reason why we should look to lovingly and in humility judge one another, number one reason, so that we can know God more. So we can know God more. Uh, in, this, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about how those who have a pure heart will get to see God. Hebrews 12 talks about without holiness, no one will see God. 
And so even as believers, Romans 6, 7, 8 talk about this very clearly. Even as believers, if we're walking in the dark, we're not experiencing God because he's on this walk and we're going our own way. Time and time and time again, we need our brothers and sisters to call us out on that so that we might walk in the light and walk with God. Um, it's not just holiness, though. It's also, um, anybody ever been hurt by somebody? <laughs> I have, okay? If you let that grow into a, a root of bitterness, what does the Sermon on the Mount say about forgiving people? Jesus is pretty frank about that, right? If we're having trouble forgiving somebody, we might need a brother or sister to help see that in our life and call us out on that and work through that, help walk us through that, that hard time with us because it's not easy to, to forgive people, um, and then the, the main principle is this. If, if we're doing anything that's not seeking first the kingdom, that's not filtered through the lens of how can I abide in Christ, man, it would be in our best interest to be called out on that. <laughs> because to live life is to abide in the vine. To live life is to walk with Christ. To believe that God is real, that he's knowable, that knowing him is eternal life. Jesus said that in John 17, 3. And that, man, like I said earlier, there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. So if, if we're going to hold each other accountable to anything, it would be that we abide in the vine. Let me give you a quick example of what this can look like. So as you can tell by my musical selections referenced earlier, I listened to a lot of uh, hip-hop growing up. Um, and I had a friend about 10 years ago, and there's nothing um, immoral per se about just the, the, the music of hip-hop. There's, there's, it's, it's amoral. But the kind I was listening to was not. <laughs> All right, it was feeding my mind and feeding my heart things. Um, and I was, I was living in that, and I didn't really realize it. So I had a brother come to me and say, hey, you listen to too much hip-hop and R&B, and it's affecting how you view women. It's affecting how you view yourself. You're, you're cocky. You're prideful. You kind of take on this persona that you've been listening to. And at first, I was kind of upset with them. Like, what are you talking about? And, uh, like, who are you to judge me? Like, only guy I can't judge. You're like, <laughs> I wanted to do that. And then I realized that he was right. And so for the last 10 years, I'll turn the radio on every once in a while and just listen to what's, what's going on. And, and I really appreciate that craft. Um, but it's been so much better for me to not have that being feeding my mind and feeding my heart. And to walk in the light has been so much more rich for my relationship with God. And I'm so thankful for my, for my brother, Jeremy Martin, who, who called me out on that. I'm so appreciative of that. Okay? So the number one reason why we need to judge each other is so that we will know God more. Number two, and I believe you see this in the, sermon on the, in the Sermon on the Mount as well, number two reason why we need to judge each other is so our witness in the world is the way that God said it should be, that we should be salt, that we should be light. Uh, Jesus said that we should be known by what? He said that we should be known by our love for one another. We should be known by our love for one another. One of the things that's been breaking my heart this year, uh, I feel like, for me, I'm only 32, so limited experience, but it seems as if this has been the most judgmental year I've ever lived in. Anybody ever feel that way? It's the most judgmental year. You get on Facebook or social media, people will say, man, how can you be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump? Or how can you be a Christian and vote for Hillary Clinton? Or how can you be a Christian and waste your vote by voting for a third-party candidate? Or how can you be a Christian and not vote? Okay. According to Facebook and Christians on Facebook, I can't be a Christian. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so we're, 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 we're not applying what the scriptures say of going to our brother and sister and, and, and talking through these things. And so this week, I work with college students, and so some of my students are the ones posting these things. 
So we hit it head on. And we read Romans 13, talks about respecting the, the authorities that God allows to be in place. And then Romans 14 starts off by saying that, that we should not quarrel and fight over disputable matters. That's a word we need to hear today in the church. We should not fight and quarrel over disputable matters. It goes on in 14 to say that we should not be condemned by what we approve. Um, and we should not cause a stumbling block, okay? Oftentimes what we're doing is we're saying you must trust in Christ plus anything else, right? We're creating stumbling blocks for people that are, are coming to Christ because they're seeing us endorse these things. It's causing stumbling blocks. Romans 15 says, what do we, what do we trust in? We trust in a ruler who has come from the seed of Jesse, who sits on David's throne, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. And it's in him that we hope. It's in him that we trust. And so in this election season, especially in the public sector, in the public sphere, on, so, on social media, man, what are, we, what are we doing when we're bashing each other? <laughs> this is the opposite of what Jesus said we're supposed to be known by. We're not supposed to be known as judging each other. We're supposed to be known by our love for one another. Man, imagine if instead the things that we're passionate about because of the candidate or whatever we're passionate about in the political sphere, man, we would approach each other and learn from each other's differences and differences of opinions and accept one another and learn from each other. And then we were to be about those things that we want these politicians to represent us for. And we were to mobilize the church to go help the poor, or help the young mom, right? Or help uh, education, whatever, whatever race relations, whatever the thing might be that you're most passionate about. And what if you were mobilizing the church to be about change and seeing the kingdom of God come to earth in that way? That would be incredible. And we could do that across political lines because we wouldn't be fighting over that. We would be coming together because of our common bond in Jesus Christ. And so imagine if we actually judged correctly instead of incorrectly, and we were known by our love for one another as opposed to uh, just bashing each other. Uh, I read a book and I heard a speaker a couple of years ago who came to uh, UT and spoke. His name is Dan Kimball. He wrote a book called Churchland. He said this, if people in the church judge each other, uh, start over, if people in the church correctly judge each other more often, the church wouldn't be known as being so judgmental. Let me say that again. If people in the church correctly judged each other more often, the church wouldn't be known as being so judgmental. In this passage, Jesus calls out, uh, he calls out his audience for being hypocrites, for saying one thing and doing another. Another quote that Dan Kimball had is, Hypocrisy infects the church if we do not judge it. Oftentimes, we're, we're making judgments and we're not putting that same standard on ourselves. And so as we actually, in a healthy, in a, in a humble way, in a loving way, in community, will judge each other, our witness in the world will be that much more dynamic, that much more pure. You guys, you guys following what I'm getting at? So this is why we need to judge. And kind of round in third, heading towards home. Uh, what, what kind of things do we need to be judging in each other's lives? Okay, there's probably more than this, but I'm going to keep it on a high level. Um, number one, I think we should be judging each other's character. Judging each other's character. As we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, we should be growing in our holiness and growing in our Christ-likeness. And so we should be assessing how we're doing in that area. Uh, number two, uh, our actions and how we love. And so how we're loving our spouse, how we're loving our kids, how we're loving um, ourselves, taking a Sabbath and getting rest. 
how we're loving the church, our church family, how we're loving the world, how we're loving our neighbor. We should be seeing these things in each other's lives and speaking truth and love to each other in these areas. Number three, you see Jesus addressed this in chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount, but we should be judging each other's motives. And, and, and why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing this ministry? Is it so that people will look at you and think highly of you? Or are you doing this because you really love somebody? Um, a lot of times what this looks like practically, to get real practical, is being in a tight-knit group of community. So like five or less, okay? Small groups of men, women, in marriage, and asking questions. Asking questions. Hey, when you, when you did that, what were, what were you thinking there? Or have you ever considered this? Have you, like, what's your... Uh, like, what's your reasoning behind that? Can you show me some scriptures behind why you, you said that or why you did that? And it's asking questions. is not coming to people accusatory <laughs> and trying to beat them upset, upside the head with your plank. Does that make sense? And so it's asking questions and questioning motives. Um, money. Why, why are you doing that with money? Like, these are some things that we need to, to address each other with regards to our motives. And then fourthly and most important, we need to assess and judge where we are finding our treasure. Where are you truly finding your identity, your value, your worth? What is your ultimate treasure? What are you ultimately placing your trust in? If we're going to hold each other accountable to anything in life, it should be that we treasure Jesus above all. That we seek first the kingdom above all else. Because if we're doing that, Jesus said everything else will be given to you as well. Everything else will fall into place. Um, and so that's what we need to be judging each other for. There's this last verse that I said I was going to reference, and I'm going to. So it's verse 6, chapter 7. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. I like the pearls before swine version. But um, if, you do, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So what does Jesus mean by this verse? Uh, I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. He's not referring to dogs uh, people who are unbelievers as dogs and pigs. That's not what he's saying. That is, that is the wrong interpretation of this passage. That goes against everything that we know about Jesus, who showed compassion, grace, and mercy. And so who is he referring to here? Well, I'm going to refer to something else Jesus said in Scripture to help us give some understanding on this. You'll see in Luke 9 and Luke 10 and also in Matthew 10 that Jesus sends his disciples out to share the gospel with unbelievers because he loves the world, right? He wants people to, to know of his great love for them. And he, he sends them out in pairs to go into towns. And people would welcome them into their home and hear these teachings. But some people wouldn't even welcome them in. They would reject, he, they would reject uh, the, the people in the message. And he, and he says to them, if they do not receive you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. And so this isn't talking about uh, people that don't, that don't know Christ. What's it, what it's talking about is people that not only don't uh, trust in Christ, but they have rejected it to the point where they are now mocking you. And so to continue to share the gospel um, in that way would, 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 what the Proverbs say would be entertaining a fool in his folly. And so uh, Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 says this, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. This is Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult, but whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Here's what Jesus, Jesus is getting at in this verse. I'm going to make this real brief. In general, we need to persevere in love when it comes to sowing seeds of the gospel. We don't give up on people. We keep praying for people. We keep sharing the gospel with people. Um, if it comes to a point where man, people have not only rejected the gospel, but they have become hard toward it, towards it, to where it 
by sharing it, you're not, they're not even moving towards Christ. Man, keep praying for them, but move on. That's kind of what this is getting at. So don't be a good steward of the gospel. If you have questions about that, you can talk to Tori. Oh. <laughs> Last thing I want to close with is this. Um, the title of this sermon is that we would judge humbly with our judge. Okay? Play on words of we should walk humbly with our God, which I feel like the scriptures calls us to do throughout the entirety of the scriptures. To judge humbly with our judge. And Jesus is the ultimate judge. And so Jesus, man, Jesus said and God said in the Garden of Eden that because of your rebellion, you will surely die. And so God is a God of his word. If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So he is a just judge. But this is what our God has done. See, we have all rebelled. We've all gone our own way. We all are deserving of death. But yet this just judge humbled himself so much so that he stepped into time, history, and space, and he spoke these words that we're reading, and he came to fulfill what we couldn't fulfill. He came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he came to pay the penalty that we deserve. Because he's a just judge, that penalty had to be paid. And he took that penalty upon himself on a tree. <laughs> Curse is the man that hangs on a tree. He took the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future, on himself. And so in that moment, you see God being just, that the penalty was served. And then he rose from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death, so that all who would turn from trusting in their own righteousness and turn from trusting in their own ways of finding life and turn to trust in Jesus might have life in Christ. That the, that the judge is not just the just, but he is the justifier, as Romans 3 says. And so he is true to his word on both accounts, that he loves us and he made a way for us to be the just judge and the one that would take the penalty for us. And so as we think about this, as we leave today and as we continue to worship today, I want you to think about this because this is the good news of the gospel, that God is true to his word, but God is also everything that he's calling us to be. He is he humbled himself to the point of death and even death on a cross. And he took our plank and he died for our plank so that we might know him. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I would implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to place your trust in Jesus. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus, I would implore you to repent and keep trusting in Jesus and be aware of, of your own sin be aware of your spiritual desperation that we are poor in spirit, but that we know the one who fulfilled the law and has given himself freely to us and fill, he fills us with his spirit that we might have hope and trust in him and life in him. And so let me pray for us and we're going to continue, continue to worship. Um, God, thank you so much for your words. Uh, thank you that you would come and even give us your words. We praise you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your example. Um, of how you, you spoke truth in all humility, that you, you took the cross and you took it in our place. And we, we praise you for that, God. I pray, God, for each and every one of us in here that as your followers, that we would imitate you, that we would be humble, um, that we would be willing to do uh, whatever you're calling us to do, um, even when it doesn't even make sense. We know that you wrestled in the garden with, with the cross. You wanted this cup to pass, but you still did it because... Your Father was calling you to do that, and that was the way of redemption. And so I ask for us in here that you would increase our faith, 
that we might trust you for whatever you're leading us into. And I also pray, God, that we would learn to love one another well and judge one another well in all humility and in all love so that we might know you more and so that our witness in the world would be more of what you intended, God. We need your help in this. We thank you that you give us the helper, the Holy Spirit. We praise your name. Amen.